What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I hope you're all well. Thank you for asking. I'm great. Um, today, today we have a Q and A. I'm going to do a little bit of an extended one. I've only been doing a couple, a couple questions here and there, but I'm going to just go into these a little bit more, expand as much as I can within reason, um, and then just kind of delve into these questions a little bit. And hopefully, you guys can. Uh, Hopefully you guys can take something from it. This is the first question. Reverse dieting, comma, opinions on COVID-19 injection. <laughs> bit of an odd, bit of an odd question. Um, not really a question, is it? So I'm going to completely ignore the first one. Reverse dieting is not a question. I guess you wanted to me to talk about a topic, but opinions on the COVID-19 injection. So uh, it's a good question. I think that I'm definitely not someone who is like an immunologist. I'm not someone who's a virologist. I don't know loads about vaccines. Um, I know that they do save millions of people per year. I know that if they are delegated correctly, that not everyone needs to take them because you can have like a herd immunity from, from said virus. And by the looks of like the five, sixth stage plan that they're kind of releasing with the vaccine, it sort of looks like it's going to be that, you know, it's like over 85s, people who work within healthcare, people who are carers, anyone over 75, then it's over 65, then it's over 50. So it's going to be a very, very long time until the normies, the normie healthy people are going to be forced. I think the whole idea of that forced vaccination, which is what a lot of people are saying, they're going to bring in a passport and all this stuff. They may well, they may well do. I don't really have an opinion on that at the moment because I, I can't see it happening at the moment, but from the stage planning it just seems to be it just seems to be that um that they're gonna roll out to like so many people it's just not going to be an issue because the bulk of the population that get ill with coronavirus are absolutely fine 99.4 percent of people so if you can if you can that 0.6 percent or whatever it is that are kind of getting bad effects from from coronavirus if you can immunize those people then that percentage pushes higher and higher. So obviously it's a good thing. Um, I do know there's a little bit, we've got to be careful what we say here, there is a little bit into vaccinations and causing autism, causing uh, birth defects. Um, I know that there's a lot of like heavy metals in vaccinations as well that they do say is not in there, but actually when further research is conducted, they are in there. Um, they do alter your DNA. They do alter your genes. I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not huge into genes and all that kind of stuff. So I'd, I couldn't explain to you how or why. I couldn't even tell you if it's alternating them in a bad way or a good way. So I'm probably just going to leave that topic and just say, I'm sure they're going to vaccinate enough people for us not all to have to worry about getting it. And vaccines, like they tend to work. Like they do work, and the side effects are, you know, small. I would assume. Um, so yeah, uh, in terms of the next question is, is quite a personal, quite well, not a personal question, but it's a personal choice, right? It's how to get the best work-life balance. Like the work-life balance is going to be unique to you and, and, and what you feel is adequate work and adequate rest and adequate life is going to be different than someone else. Uh, for example, I have tried to work in more life and less business this last three or four weeks because number one I'm tired and I'm extremely blessed to be able to say I can put everything on maintenance mode 
so I can maintain my income and maintain my businesses. But when I'm maintaining that, I can increase my life and relaxation and enjoying life a little bit more. I'm obviously extremely lucky to even be able to do that and be in that position. But this gives me a little bit of time to just recuperate, build up like energy stores. It's like a metaphorical energy store. It's going to build up that like energy from just fucking tra- training and business. And like, when you're self-employed, you you and you what you put in, you get paid. You don't stop sometimes. So I've actively put in the last probably honestly probably the last month during lockdown. I was a bit of a downer. And I wanted to just go to maintenance mode. I wanted to just chill the fuck out for a little bit um, and not have to just think, you know, let me grow this, let me grow that. I need to get content here and, and just to relax a little bit. So I did that. I filmed all my content I needed to do in, in October. In October. <laughs> and then I just kind of drip fed it out. And, and, and to be fair, everything dropped off. And, and that's something that you guys need to be okay with. Um, everything dropped off. I have less story views. I have less people liking my photos. I have more unfollows this month than ever i have less people subscribing than ever and i have less views on my youtube videos than ever and that's what happens when you take a maintenance mode that's what happens when you take a bit of a back burner and you you stay less relevant because you're trying to take a break and and that is something that you need to either be okay with or come to terms with i'm obviously going on holiday in like a week now a week today i can't wait once i'm back from that that's an 11 day holiday. I'm going to just chill the fuck out. I've got a full week off work. I've told all my clients not to check in and, and we've kind of set up everyone, everyone up. Um, I think that's really important for people to do at least once a year, especially in online coaching, because you check people in every single week. People need accountability every single week. But guess what? So do you. I've not had a day off coaching for two and a half, three years. Um, people who have been with me for two and a half years, two years can literally be like, yeah. I've checked in every single week for two years and they can attest to the hard work I've been putting in for the last three years but uh, you know I've, I've managed to uh, bearing in mind I've spent 10 years building this this job that I have maybe a little bit less than that maybe eight years and I'm now in that position where I can actually back off um, just for, for a month to six weeks but more specifically because I know what's coming and obviously I've got prep coming in February it all starts in January really for me got to start getting my head on I've got to start visualizing I mean I've been doing this every day anyway but I've got to start having my energy put into my business and energy put into my physique and obviously the prep that's going to come so maintaining a work-life balance it for me is fluid there's no like one size fits all all year round I think there'll be periods when you're all in and I think there's periods where you have to be all in because what happens when business is crazy? What happens when you've got more signups? What happens when you've got more clothes? What happens when you've got more warehouse projects to do? What happens when you've got another business? You don't just go, oh no, sorry, this is going to affect my work-life balance. I can't do it. Of course, you're not going to do that. So there's going to be times when you have to go all in. There's going to be times when you have to reserve those energies and, and build up. And for me, that's just been this last month or so um, because I know what's happening. I obviously had the one of my drop, but I've still got that coming. Uh, it's probably going to be releasing 14th, 15th of December, just before Christmas, hopefully. Um, so I've had, I've, I've put energy into that, but everything was sorted before I needed to go away and everything like that. So set yourself up to be able to rest, but also know when it's time to work. And I think that's the key to the work-life balance is being fluid when you need to. Uh, this isn't really a question. Uh, fatigue versus stimulus for muscle growth. I don't know how to decipher it either, my friend, uh, Ryan Jenkins. You need stimulus to 
stimulate muscle growth. You need to create a novel stimulus. You need to create a stimulus that was bigger than the week before to tell your body we need more down here. We need more muscle down here. Of course, that comes at, I'm, I'm absolutely blabbing here. I don't know if you wanted me to know, to know this, but or maybe you do. Um, but with that, with that novelty stimulus comes fatigue, and you've just got to balance the two. Um, that's really that's all I can say about that question, my brother. A little more context, and that'd be fantastic. Thoughts on the Great Reset? Um, so this 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 Great Reset is all about, from what I vaguely know and what I vaguely read, it's about a new world order of having big conglomerates of businesses, Amazons, Googles, things like that, with smaller businesses dying out, and I think it's like a financial reset or something. Someone messaged me saying it's not even a theory, it's just happening, so who knows. But from what I've seen, they've had many, many opportunities to eradicate small businesses, but they offered them furlough, they offered them business loans, you know, and they offered them, they did offer everyone loans. Self-employed people had a little bit less help during coronavirus. Bearing in mind, this is five months of the year that we've not been able to work. That could cripple some people. Five months of my year, I've not been able to go to the gym, which means that everyone else that I coach can't go to the gym. So literally, 50% of everyone's year has been like, you know, dodgy, especially in this business. Um, so I'm yet to believe it. I'm yet to see the actual reset. I'm yet to see all the small companies closing down. The ones that I know and go to are fine. Um, I'm sure. I know there is some that have, that have closed down. Topshop is closing down, so I know that you know smaller businesses are are gonna are gonna come down as well. So I'm not fully sold on it, um, and I'll just leave it at that. I don't know enough to be complex. I think that's one thing I've learned in my time. If you don't know enough, just stay away from it. Starting as an online coach, did you open the business as a sole trader or limited company? Um, so I started as a sole trader, and I'd recommend most of you probably start as a sole trader um, until you earn a certain amount of money, and then it becomes very beneficial to be a limited company because you can pay yourself in dividends, um, and in dividends you can pay anywhere from nine to twenty percent tax versus thirty forty percent tax. So. Uh, the way I set my company up at the moment is I have two companies when I split my two incomes because obviously I've got multiple incomes. I've got my coaching business. I've got one Amar. I've got my sponsors. I've got one-off posts. I've got training programs. So I split my wage near, like as close down the middle as I can to try and keep myself below the VAT threshold, which is £85,000. Uh, as soon as you go above £85,000, you pay 20% on everything else. Um, so, for example, you're you're creeping up on on eight. Maybe you're at seventy five thousand pounds, seventy thousand pounds, and you know that you're going to grow a little bit more. Uh, it could be a good idea to, if you've got that ability to split your income, you could split that income, and then you could have two companies under eighty five thousand pounds. Or even if you're at seventy five, eighty, and then maybe you just take like twenty of that and put it in another company per year. You stay below the threshold on both sides. I um, mean, and also if you do get to that amazing position where both of those companies are earning £85,000 or over, and you get VAT on both, you can, you know, you can delay that VAT for a long time because you get up to 160 grand a year, which is fucking nuts, um, before you need to pay that tax. So, you know, you've got a lot of wiggle room there. Um, so I have my company, which then pays me 
a uh, the the amount that you can pay someone tax free per year. I think it's like eleven thousand five hundred or something. So I pay myself eleven thousand five hundred, which is tax free, and then anything above that. Um, that I take out, I take as dividends, and those dividends get taken out at 9%. Excuse me, this coffee, I've not had a coffee in a long time, and it's making me sweat and hiccup. I'm only halfway through. In fact, let's take a sip before we keep going. (laughs) So So I pay myself, I think it's like £720 a month or something. To stay below that uh, tax threshold, I then pay myself. I pay myself the amount of money that I need to cover my bills, my rent, my food, everything. You know, I, I don't want to tell you what that number is, to be honest, because everyone's pretty candid about these numbers, right? Um, but I can take out up to sixty thousand pounds. Sorry, I can take out of my business fifty thousand pounds on top of that eleven thousand, which you've already taken at nine percent tax. So you can already see the benefit, right? Because if you're earning £60,000 as a sole trader, you're getting, you're getting 40% tax on that or 30% tax on that. I think, I think 40% tax comes at like 65 grand maybe. So if you'll go, if you say, let's just for argument's sake, let's say you've got 70 grand a year, sole trader, 40% of that. So literally, what is that? 20, like 28 grand of that is going to tax. Whereas if you were to pay yourself that same amount of money from a limited company in dividends, you would literally pay half. You would literally entirely pay 14 grand as opposed to 28 because you, because of the way that you say, you could even save more than that. You could potentially save half, if not more, um, because of the way the structure works. It's crazy. It's fucking crazy. Once you earn over a threshold, you change to a limited company, you get taxed less, which is just, it was crazy when I first heard about it as well. Um, so that's how I set my companies companies up at the moment. I actually don't take a wage from the one of our account. I just I just let that rotate over because it doesn't really grow much the the amount of money in there, but it doesn't really go down much either because it's just constant reinvestment. If that makes sense. So like say I spend a thousand pound on cuffs, I wait till I get that thousand pound back, and then I spend that thousand pound on the next thing. But then obviously I'm still making profit from from the. Uh, from the other cuffs that were because obviously I buy it cheaper than what I sell out because I'm obviously going to make some profit on it um, and then I take that profit and I'll reinvest it into a new idea like I've honestly around this room that I'm in I've got like four or five samples of just random things that I need to get a hold of because they call it like a, a sample of something it's like 40 or 50 quid no matter what it is sample of cuffs one cuff is, is 50 quid because of the delivery because of how far it has to come, because they've got to make a unique order for one piece, like it gets expensive. So I've got like four or five things here which I've invested into with that money, and then it just comes to nothing. For example, the cuffs took me three, four, five, four. I think they took me four, four um, samples. So that's fifty quid each time. Uh, then you've got the time in between those, like it takes a month to deliver, two weeks to make. So. That's five, six months of my time investing into, you know, talking back and from, and then it's 200 pounds, you know, so there's a lot of investment going on. Anyway, this is massively sidetracked, hasn't it? Um, so yeah, I, I would, you know, start as a sole trader, but as soon as you can, I'd look to go to a business. If you want to earn over 40 grand a year, 30 grand a year probably, then just go to a limited company. 
the stock that I'm most invested into, the stock that I'm most invested into at the moment is Tesla. And I'm about fucking 30% up, <laughs> which is fucking amazing. I invested, um, I invested like the two weeks before they got announced they were listed into the SP500. I knew they were going to get there. I'd been watching some things about them forever. I believe in Elon. So I just, I put like, I just put some money into it. Um, I actually just sold some stock that I had pretty big profit on as well. And then just honestly, just put more into Tesla. I can see that stock being 1500 per. So I'm just going to try and put as much money into it as I can and feel comfortable with. I think it's safe for the next five years at least. So decent long-term investment for me anyway. Don't take my advice. <laughs> uh, tips and tricks to make cutting easier. Uh, You've got things like timing your caffeine. I looked at my coffee and I thought that. So, you know, you wake up, you're fucking starving. You don't want to eat straight away because, you know, you if you eat earlier, you finish your food earlier. So I'd wake up, I'd have a coffee, I'd go for a walk. I'd delay that because that coffee can stifle your appetite a little bit. Um, there are things like bulking out your foods with vegetables, of course. Or you can even get things like rice replacements, which are like half the carb but double the volume. Um, eating foods that you look forward to. Backloading your food ultimately suck it the fuck up because it's gonna you know on a big cut on a proper cut it's gonna hurt it's gonna suck but it is what it is uh there's lots and lots of tricks and tips that we're gonna go through as we do go through the you know what i've pretty much forgotten them all because it's been like however long how long has it been 18 months since i competed so i've got to i've got to remember them all when i start cutting again was lee priest too small for goat status uh no i don't think anyone is too small for goat status uh, I don't think he was a goat, though. I think he's an asshole. I think a goat has to be a combination of... Nah, you know what? No, it doesn't. Because you can be a specific goat. But he wasn't the greatest of all time, so he's not a goat. <laughs> uh, how to help reduce back acne while on steroid. <laughs> That's not it. I get it really badly on very low dosages. Um, so it sounds like you probably just are predispositioned to be having acne. Acne is is pretty much solely solely caused by um oh my fucking god i'm gonna keep the mic going while i look this up because normally i'd pause it and, and have a look but honestly i'm fuming i actually i took a i took a um a seminar about acne and i wrote some notes that's what i'm getting up right now so acne here we go lower oxidate uh, you've got a lower oxidative stress so acne is entirely based off oxidative stress Adding steroids into the mix, increase your oxidative stress, being stressed, smoking, drinking, drugs, shit that's bad for you increases oxidative stress. So your first line of action has got to be improve your diet, look at, you know, bring in some brassica vegetables, cruciferous, veg cruciferous vegetables. Um, and then you can then, you know, you can look at things like NAC. Um, can't remember the fucking full thing of it. NAC, taurine. Uh, you can look into metformin as well. Both of these, or all of these things are like antioxidants and they can help remove oxidative stress. Um, ep epicoduans, things like um, life extension green tea, mel melatonin. Again, some really, really good anti-inflammatories anti, uh, and, 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 and immune supports there that can help bring down oxidative stress. Um, you can... I would stay away from Accutane as much as you can. It is horrible for you, so do that. Um, dietary intervention, things like removing hyperglycemic carbohydrates, removing milk, dairy, gluten, things like that. So be very, very conscious of those things, and it's going to be coming down to that. 
Um, how serious would you take training and nutrition if competing didn't exist? Probably a lot less. Like, I definitely, definitely do bodybuilding to compete. Like, I train hard to compete. Um, I know a lot of people say, I compete because I train hard, or I compete because I love to train. Like, I love to compete. I really just, I've got that competitive streak in me. I love to beat people. I love to to be the best person on stage. And in bodybuilding, it's very, very, very satisfying knowing that you didn't know any of these people before and you all had 16 or whatever it is weeks plus the years before and it just so happens that you beat everyone because you worked harder that is a nice feeling so i would say i probably wouldn't take it as seriously uh it's those questions are real difficult because obviously my entire life my job is literally based off competing and looking a certain way and being a bodybuilder so that's like saying if you didn't have a job would you do your job? So, no. <laughs> uh, JP versus Hollingshead, who you got? Bodybuilding show, obviously. Uh, I have not seen JP compete for a very long time, so I'm going to say James, considering he is double Olympia qualified. Um, I don't think it's I don't think it's a huge, huge uh, step, but bear in mind, JP's not a pro. JP's not even a pro, and James is obviously going to the Olympia. So there's probably levels to the game that I don't know about, but I think I think James would just get it. Um thoughts on really aggressive diets for an in and out mental approach. I think I think it depends on the person. I think uh I think if you're that person who can fight the demons of being hungry, I think if you're that person that can grit it out and get it done, then by all means do it. But for most people, for most people tends to have to be a little bit of an extended like I, I don't really like the word mini cut anymore i say mini because you don't get as lean it should be a not get as lean cut rather than a mini cut i guess mini cut is easier isn't it <laughs> um but like these like six week cuts and or like anywhere from like two to six week cuts i'm not a big fan of i don't think you can make huge difference in that time you take like a week or two to adjust to the diet then you get a little bit hungry week three or four and then you lose some body fat, five, six, seven, and then it's done. And I don't know. I like to dig a little bit deeper personally. Um, after a mini cut, do you go straight back to your previous calories? No, that would be stupid. Uh, if you're on 2,000 calories and you're losing a lot of weight and you were eating 4,500 calories in your bulk, do not go to 4,500 calories again. Just reverse diet. That means just adding calories back in over time. Um, potentially potentially in the fashion that you took them away maybe a little bit quicker because you're going to have a a little bit more sensitivity a little bit more of an ability to push up um and yeah just be able to push on from there i think that i think that the slow meticulous approach is always the better one generally uh unless you're like super established and you just know everything that's going to happen then the slow meticulous approach always seems to work for me because you're in that you're in control the whole time. Like if you're someone who's conscious of getting fat, if you're someone who's you know maybe slightly maybe slightly fatter as a person just naturally, I find that just having slow increments on you know on on calorie increases or cardio decreases, whatever it is, like it doesn't it doesn't matter too much, but. 
it puts you in control because at no point do you take too big of a step to go, oh, fuck, we shouldn't have made that. Instead, you're making small steps. And if you go, you think, you know what? We had a bit too much this week. Let's just take it back a step. And you're in control the whole way. Don't get me wrong. I've got people like, uh, let's, for example, Robert Dickinson, uh, Robert Dixon, Scottish guy. Uh, he's, he's about 73 kilos now. And we've put on about eight on eight to 10 kilos in the last eight to 10 weeks. You've, we've had to push food more aggressively. You know, obviously he's got anabolics on his side, but we've had to push food more aggressively because he's naturally a skinny dude, naturally a lean dude. So you'd make much bigger changes much more often. So whereas for some clients, I may do 25 carb up, 100 calories up a week, hold it another week, then go up. So it's 100 calories every other week. Pretty much for, for Rob, we've done a minimum of 100 calories a week. And we've been up to two, 300 calories a week sometimes just because you just got to keep that engine roaring. And while body fat looks good, just keep pushing it, you know. Um, how do you recover post-training? Uh, naturally, you're going to recover without having to think about it. That's what the body does, which is perfect. You eat enough protein, you sleep enough, you're going to recover. But there are some things that you can do outside of that to improve recovery. Things like assessing your electrolytes, making sure you're getting enough salt and potassium, making sure you're drinking enough water. Maybe you get a little bit of a massage to move some lactic acid around. Maybe you foam roll. Maybe you do some stretching to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. Maybe you reduce your caffeine away from that training window. Um, maybe you do some yoga, some meditation, anything that's going to help you put, put yourself in a calm state. When you're in a calm state, that is when you are recovering. So anything that, that manipulates that sort of parasympathetic nervous system, and you can just Google how to how to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system. You could even type in PSNS, and you will get it. And there's some amazing things that you can do. Even things like singing can work. So there's a lot of cool things that you can do. Um, do I think that I will stay towards men's physique or push towards classic in the next five years? I think naturally... Naturally, being in bodybuilding, you're going to want to push for more. And you're always going to want to push for more. And I'm always going to want to push for more. So I don't really see myself as a... I do, because I do love men's physique. But I don't see myself as, I am a men's physique athlete. I just say I'm a bodybuilder because I love to improve my physique. And if my physique gets to the point where it's big enough and good enough for a classic physique and too big and whatever it is for men's physique, then of course I'm going to make the transition. But I'm way off classic at the moment. It all looks good on Instagram. It all looks good throwing up a vacuum double bicep. But when you stand next to real classic guys, they blow you the fuck away. They are so, so much bigger. I think my weight category is like, I can put on another nine kilos or 10 kilos of muscle when on stage. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot that you can uh, imagine that I've got to put on, which is kind of annoying. Um... Can the amount of food that you eat affect your focus, work, or is food selection more important? So the amount of food is definitely going to get to the point where blood glucose is high quite a lot of the day. You will feel a little bit more sluggish. You're going to want to sleep a little bit more from those insulin spikes. And, and, and you will probably cognitively decline a very, very, very high food. Um, I find that my clarity isn't as good. I find that my brain switches off a little bit more for whatever reason. Um... But I think the one thing that helps that is food selection. If you're eating fucking Domino's, McDonald's, and just shit that hurts your stomach, it's going to have a negative effect on that brain. You know, you're going to have huge insulin dumps, you know, poor digestion, and all those things are going to massively affect your your focus, uh, your cravings, your sleep, all that stuff plays into it. So eat clean um, as much as you can, and 
just be wary of cognitive decline because it does happen. It does happen, but it's it's never anything um, massively significant, if that makes sense. Um, sweeteners, bloating, distension, does that happen? Um, yeah, it does. So something that you'll probably find when you're in a little bit of a fat loss phase is, is your sweeteners tend to creep up a little bit. Your 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 inputs start to creep up a bit from from those places trying to get that sweet too, from just trying to hit that hit that spot. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to stay away from them as much as possible. If they're causing you stomach issues, then of course just stop, right? Um, artificial sweeteners, all that kind of stuff can impact your gut a little bit, your gut permeability, all those types of things. So you've got to be very, very conscious of that. And that's that. I think that's uh, that's where we'll leave it. I think it's important to give you bite-sized chunks, nothing that you can't digest. And uh, we'll be back very soon, guys, with another podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to leave a little, little rating in the store. And uh, we'll see you soon, guys. Peace.